Welcome to the Sharid Sedek Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Here you'll find a live recording of just about every sermon, Devar Torah, teaching, or story from our Arab Shabbat and High Holy Day services. We know that you wish you could be with us more often, and we understand life getting in the way is not a bad thing. To live Jewishly is to understand that just as important as it is that Judaism happens in the synagogue, it's even more important to live Jewishly in your home and on your way. So here we are, in your home, on your way, maybe even on your morning run. If you ever have any questions or want to continue the discussion, let one of us know, and make sure you check out our live stream and YouTube channel for more ways that Sharit Zedek is available to you on demand. Keep an eye on your shofar and email so that when you're able, you can be with us as well. Looking forward to seeing you soon. There's an old saying that God works in strange ways. And there are a lot of times in life when we need God to be there for us, especially in times of despair, of danger, of disappointment, of death. We always look for a way to find meaning in the tragedies that come upon us. Well, I believe that in tonight's Torah portion, Vayishlach, from the book of Genesis, that we find an insight into how we might find that meaning, even within difficult times. It comes to us through our patriarch, Jacob. Jacob was filled with fear, and with good reason. He had extorted his brother Esau out of his financial birthright over a bowl of stew when Esau was vulnerable and had further tricked his sibling out of his father's choices blessing by taking advantage of father Isaac's blindness. Now Esau, who had become successful despite all those deceitful setbacks, was reportedly coming to face Jacob in person. Jacob reacted to this threat defensively. He divided his own well-to-do camp of wives, children, livestock, and servants into two parts, hoping that if one group was attacked, the other would survive. And then he prayed to God, saying as follows, Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, else I fear he may come and strike me down mothers and children alike. But Jacob still didn't feel entirely safe. So he amassed many expensive gifts with which to buy Esau's favor and hopefully secure a safe outcome. Thinking once again, as the Torah records, if I propitiate him, if I buy him off with presents in advance, and then face him, perhaps he will show me favor. The Torah story then completes this part of the narrative as follows. That same night he arose, and taking his two wives, his two maidservants, and his eleven children, he crossed the ford of the Jabbok River. After taking them across the stream, he sent across all his possessions. And then Jacob, was left alone, except 
As it turns out, he wasn't alone, at least not for very long. For even though no human was there, the biblical author tells us that a man wrestled with him until the break of dawn. What man, we ask? The Torah doesn't say exactly. The writer simply notes a few lines later that Jacob has struggled with beings divine and human. But then who are these beings, divine and human? Some rabbinic commentators say they are God's angels and that they, or he and she, have come to make Jacob think about his devious past and how an attitude adjustment could change his future for the better. Others suggest that the being or beings are Jacob's conscience as he wrestles with himself in his own mind. Is this the way I should behave toward my brother whom I have wronged, he asked himself, according to those commentators? Should I be buying off his forgiveness or should I be apologizing instead? Which is a good question seeing that the forgiveness option never appears in the story. The biblical writers and the rabbis see Jacob as disquieted and afraid, and as the text says, feeling very much alone. Yet if so, why do they interject another player into the drama at this point? Why the being or beings, divine or human, who come to wrestle with him? Are they trying to tell us something about our own moments of loneliness during difficult times? Are they trying to tell us that even when we feel most alone, another human being may actually be watching and learning from the ways we handle the difficulty? Recently, I happened upon a true story that teaches this very lesson. It was written by an opinion editor named Joshua Rogers and describes what his daughter saw and what he learned from her reaction. He was the stranger. She was the stranger in that alone moment. The story goes like this. One day, my wife and I were listening to a playlist of Disney songs with our two little girls when the sentimental love song, I See the Light from Tangled, came on. I walked over to my wife, who was in the kitchen, took her in my arms, and started dancing with her slowly. I could tell that it caught her off guard and embarrassed her a little. It came out of nowhere. Thank goodness she stayed in my arms and danced with me anyway. As the song approached the final chorus, I looked in my peripheral vision and suddenly realized we weren't alone. Our daughter was standing there watching us, our daughters, watching us in silence. The song approached the end, and as the strings played the last notes, I decided to give the girls a Hollywood ending. I took my wife's face in my hands and kissed her. After I pulled away, I looked over and saw my oldest daughter's face lit up with adoration and her eyes filled with tears. Then she came over 
buried her face in my wife's legs and cried. Why are you crying, my wife asked. My daughter was at a loss for words, so I tried a different angle. Can you at least give me one word to describe how you're feeling, I asked. My daughter paused, looked up at us and said, loved. It reminded me of seeing my dad kiss my mom, leaving me feeling pleasantly embarrassed as a child. I wanted to watch them smooch and hide my face at the same time. And while there were no words to describe how I felt at the time, looking back, I know what it was. I felt loved. My Prince Charming and Cinderella had built a castle of affection that surrounded me, making me feel safe and protected. At least I felt that way when the walls were strong. But then his daughter's voice takes over the story and relates the surprise ending. She says, over time, life did irreparable damage to my parents' marriage. The death of two children, serious health issues, financial troubles and conflict, they all took their toll. After 17 years together, Prince Charming and Cinderella finally turned and walked away from each other. Their love story was over. It's hard to describe the feelings that swirled around my young mind in the wake of my parents' death, and that's not a typo. Their divorce felt like they had died in a way, and from my limited perspective, it was a death they chose. I was an orphan of sorts. I felt a little less loved and secure. In the years after my parents' divorce, my mom eventually began doing something that meant a great deal to me. She would voluntarily speak kindly of my dad, affirming his good qualities, and she would even share memories of their happier days. It never ceased to leave me feeling a little lighter, a little more hopeful. Perhaps it made me feel a little more loved. Joshua Rogers, the author, finally steps back into this piece and he finishes the story in a way that transforms the ending from sad to inspiringly helpful. He says, never underestimate the power of your love for your spouse. Your kids are watching you as you smile and give each other a peck on the lips when you say goodbye to each other in the morning. They're listening when you compliment one another. And even if your marriage has fallen apart, your kind words about each other are communicating a powerful message. Love doesn't have to die, even if a marriage doesn't make it. This message I say tonight about love is a powerful one. But it's not the only message in the story. Just as powerful is the reminder that others might be watching the way we deal with our difficult moments and events, and that if they learn a life-affirming lesson from what we do, we might be able to see our challenges in a more positive light. 
Joshua Rogers certainly felt that way about his divorce after hearing his daughter's heartfelt words. Jacob's unnamed assailant who appeared and watched when Jacob was supposedly alone may have done the same for him. While watching, he may have decided to step in to force Jacob to confront his scheming self and make the decision to become a better person. We can't know for sure, but the outcome of the story seems to suggest as much. For the biblical text reads, looking up, Jacob saw Esau coming accompanied by 400 men. Then he, Jacob, bowed low to the ground seven times until he was near his brother. At that point, Esau ran to greet him. He embraced him and falling on his neck, he kissed him and they wept. This ending may not have been the same had Esau not sensed a change in Jacob. Perhaps the stranger who watched and fought with Jacob may have thus helped to turn what had been for him a lonely fear into an unanticipated success. As I said at the outside, life invariably brings trying times. Death, divorce, disappointment, danger. We often feel alone at these moments and we see no way to to stop and we see no way to find anything positive in them. These are the times that we need to stop and remember that others may be watching to see how we react. If we do so with a desire to make things as good as they can be, we just may be giving meaning to tragedy. And in this sense, Bible stories, especially this one, are indeed true. It was a true for both of those in both stories. Others found meaning and returned that meaning to those who were suffering and allowed them to see what was going on in a better light. Amen.